I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Hi, Amy. Hi, Lisa. Where am I finding you at this moment? Thinking, feeling, doing... How are you? I'm really great today. I just came from the studio, and so that's super inspiring when I get to spend time there with the students and the teachers. And the window washers were there, so they were washing all these beautiful windows we have, and that really made my heart happy because we don't have anything on our windows at the studio. The the windows are just wide open, so we get this beautiful light that comes in. And then on the way home, I was stuck in traffic and I was trying to figure out why there was traffic on a Thursday at 11 a.m. And I remembered that it's move-in day at The Ohio State University. And I thought that was so cool because traffic was backed up for miles. And I just found it to be super exciting that All these young people are moving in um, to another phase of their life. They're physically moving into a new place. And our university, we have multiple colleges and universities where I live. It's a very academic town, but we have the Ohio State University here. And they always want you to put the the or the the on the beginning because it's the Ohio State University. (laughs) And they're trying to copyright the word the which I don't understand, but we have, I think on campus, we have, I want to say 60,000 comes to mind. It's a huge campus. And so there's a lot of great energy around the university. It's, they work on so many groundbreaking things. And so to be stuck in traffic with all of these young, vibrant people who are on to this new exciting part of their life was just kind of cool. Like it just kind of made sitting in traffic a pleasure. So that touches on not just where my physical body is, but where my mind and my heart are too. We have a little bit in common there. We've never talked about this before. Now I live in the area that is known as UBC, the University of British Columbia, and it's surrounded by Forest Pacific Spirit Park, and it's near the beach and the ocean. It's a really gorgeous campus, but my neighborhood is very close to a long road where a lot of the professors and the staff park, and then they ride their bikes or they take transit into the actual campus because there's less parking there and it's very busy. And I started my morning this morning. It's three hours earlier where I am with a a brisk walk in the trees Um, before the heat of the day. And there was so many more cars there. And the same thing, I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's getting close. And of course, I still have a school-aged child at home. So my mind has been on when we're going to go and do our back-to-school shopping and 
what she has to have ready and prepared. And I know that her mind is you know, a little sad about the end of summer because she is having such a wonderful summer. So that's definitely in the air by the time this airs. Some people will be back to school. Some people will be just preparing. And I was also thinking on that walk about my very full day ahead of me. And then I caught myself because just yesterday I was listening to a talk by Sam Harris, this writer and scientist and meditation teacher. And he was explaining how all of us, we have these favorite places. And this forest that I live near is one of my favorite places. We have favorite places in nature. We have favorite restaurants, um, people, and even items that we would be sad, you know, if they were no longer available to us. So we covet them. And maybe we even save up for them and we think about them and we want them. And then sometimes when we're there or when we're enjoying them, we're thinking about other things. So his point was, it doesn't even matter really where you are if you're not there, you know, fully present. And sometimes I use walks to be fully present. And sometimes I go for a walk because I purposely want to think about things and figure things out. But today I just went for a walk because I had that hour and I wanted to get out there. That's how I wanted to start the day. But I was noticing, I was thinking about, I was strategizing. When am I going to fit that in? And don't forget you have to do that and you have to send that by this time today. And you have a phone meeting at that time. And half an hour went by and I hadn't noticed where I was. Just one of the most beautiful parts of this city. So I did make an intention as well. Even though today is a full day, I will endeavor to be as present as I possibly can with each and every activity that I do, because it has been found that we really can't multitask. We think we can, but it's really not possible. So my intention now is just to be right here with you and with our listeners. I love that. I love how he says it doesn't matter where you are if you're not fully present. If you think about vacations that you may have taken or rides in the car, road trips, and if you allowed yourself to fully experience that, or if your mind was pulled back to other places or times. So I love how he says that it doesn't matter where you are if you're not fully there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, today, we're going to be discussing something that is a continuation of my yesterday. Last episode, I mentioned that I was preparing to teach a group of yoga teacher trainees. Um, The college wanted me to come in and teach them some stress reduction techniques and the tools and the practices and the concepts that I've amassed in my decade of healing from an anxiety disorder, but then also finding out why these practices help and learning about practices that continue to have us question our mind and learn about the nature of our mind and learn about our wiring and all of these different ways in which we can hack into the way that we are so that we can show up more mindfully. And a huge part of that is learning the art of being present. We can talk about that all day, but that's definitely a practice. It doesn't come easily for us. Of course, our brain is wired so that we are always scanning our surroundings and figuring out how comfortable we are, how safe we are. That's just the way that we are. And so it is a practice that we must cultivate. 
And there was an aspect of the workshop that I shared with the students that I thought, oh, this might be fun for us to talk about. It's definitely a more esoteric aspect of yoga. And some listening may decide that this is just theoretical. But I know for you and I, we've used this system, if anything, as a healing resource. So what I was teaching yesterday was anxiety from more of that yogic perspective, from the yoga therapy perspective, more of an Eastern perspective, and how anxiety shows up in the different koshas, which is a concept that we've discussed here, the layers of a human being, the physical body, the energetic body, the level of the lower mind, the conscious mind, the mind that is scanning, the mind that is storytelling and naming things. And that's the part of the mind that gets us in trouble when it comes to anxiety because anxiety can occur because of physical issues. It can occur because of a diet that doesn't serve or habits that don't serve or sleep patterns that maybe don't serve or any other sort of non-ease, right? Dis-ease in the physical body. We can experience anxiety if our pranic body, so that's this energetic body, and we can think about our breath. So if we have disrupted breath patterns, a lot of us are holding our breath, um, especially when our mind is racing with these chaotic thoughts. So you see what I'm getting at? We can separate the koshas to talk about them, but they're all related. And it's a really useful way to meet and befriend anxiety, actually, to think about practices for the physical body. Well, those are going to immediately affect the pranic body or the breath. If you start with the breath, that will immediately have a reaction for the physical body, a, a relaxing reaction, a softening reaction. Or if you start with the mind, if you decide that you're going to pay attention to what you think and cultivate more peaceful thinking, you will also experience a change in your breath and your body. So we can talk about the koshas separately, but they're all related. And when we mention the pranic body, we've spoken here before that prana means life force. That's really all of the unseen. And yoga and Ayurveda talk about a lot of terms and aspects of who we are as human beings that are unseen, right? There's the koshas, there's the doshas, the sort of energies within that are symbolized by the elements, right? We all have our fire, our air, and our water. And Ayurveda is a lot about pacifying imbalances in that. We've got some skaras, right, that are defined as you know, traumas that we hold into the body or habits or tendencies like a groove in the in in a dirt road that we just keep moving into our tendencies. So we're going to talk about an unseen aspect of ourselves in our show today. And we're going to talk about um, the energetic architecture of the body and the it's the chakra system. C-H-A-K-R-A. When I first took my yoga teacher training, my teacher and everybody was saying chakra. Uh, and that's what you may have heard, but I have heard it's it's actually chakra. What what do you say? Chakra. Mm -hmm. I, one of my Sanskrit teachers within the past, I think, year and a half or two brought that correction to me. I had always said chakra, your chakras, um, and she she said it's really like chuck, like chakra. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, so I say chakra. How would you describe them? They are very subtle for me, but they can also be very powerful. They are 
places in the body where maybe what we call our nervous system or in the Eastern philosophy, maybe they refer, they're referred to as the nadis. It's where some of the nadis come together and create this powerful energy center. And they tend to, the big ones tend to start at the, at our root or the base of our spine, and they travel up through the central body all the way to the crown of the head. And each one has its own characteristics and its own power. And I think we're going to dive deep into a lot of that in our discussion today. They're wheels of, of spinning energy like a vortex and nadis, N-A-D-I. Those are energetic pathways that feed into them, yes. And they've been described to me as a gear system. So if you are working therapeutically with one of them, it's also going to affect the rest of them. We're going to be discussing with you today the seven main energy centers that are thought to run up the spine from the base to the crown of the head. But there are said to be many, you know, even in the soles of the feet and the fingertips and, and around the body. Who knows? Again, for many of you, this might sound very theoretical. However, it can be seen as a real healing resource. Uh, one of our teachers, Ashley Turner, has described the chakra system as places where our body and our psychology meet. We do know this, though. We do know that our every experience meets in the body. And an example of this, maybe you've been in a yoga studio and you've had a teacher say something like, you hold your emotions in your hips. So if you're in a deep hip stretch and it might be uncomfortable and you can imagine that there's a lot of holding there, um, I've had teachers say that you want to be on purpose working with the hips if you're dealing with your emotions. And that's an example of the second energy center being connected on a physical level to the hips. So believe what you will, but you and I have had experiences that have been helpful and we can only speak to what we know. And that's our intention today. So I'll start by speaking about the first, just because working with it has been the most transformational for me. Uh, 11 years ago in my first yoga teacher training, it was the first time that I've heard about a system like this. And I was very skeptical about the whole thing. It was all very new to me. However, I started to learn about this first energy center. And if you're going to work with the energetic architecture of the body, it's not a bad idea to start at the root because we need to create that firm foundation before we can do any growth anyway. And as we continue to talk about this first energy center, it becomes clear that a lot of us are deficient there and we need some balance there. This energy center is called muladhara, that's the Sanskrit term, and that translates to root support. Starting here means that you are establishing roots because this energy center is related to how safe we feel just in our very lives, how deserving we feel of prosperity. It's all about our safety, our survival, and how we take care of ourselves. For those of us who feel like we suffer with anxiety, or we notice that the mind is filled with worries and this 
deep sense of doom, like we're living on the edge of our seat, it's said that there may be deficiencies here because in an unbalanced first energy center, we can tend towards fear. And I've been open with the fact that until the awakening that was yoga for me, fear seemed to be the driving force of my life. And so when my teacher taught us about this energy center and the different practices for healing, for instance, when it comes to muladhara, it is physically related to our legs and our feet, right? The foundations of our physical body. So what I like to teach is if we're mindfully using our standing poses as healing for this energy center, you can think about getting stronger in your feet and your legs and getting stronger in your own connection to the earth, getting stronger in that earth energy, bringing that in to feel more grounded, to ground the mind, to move out of the chaos of what ifs and worries and shoulds and what are they thinking of me and more into feeling your feet on the ground, which is one of the most practical practices that I use almost every day, just feeling my feet on the ground and that I share with my clients to feel more stable, to gather themselves up, and then they can you know, move through some other practices to find out how am I breathing and what am I thinking. So for me, feeling my feet on the ground, getting stronger in my legs, there's also a specific chant that you can chant. Each of the energy centers has a sound related to it, a vibration related to it that is thought to balance it. Each of the energy centers has specific colors and meditations related to it. And then different therapeutic practices as well that can help. One thing that we're going to share with you in this episode today is this idea that each of the energy centers comes with a right, like a, a right that we have essentially as a human being without having to do anything to prove it. And what Amy and I have been teaching in our shared workshops is we've been offering these rights. And this is what I taught um, the other day to those students, is once you hear the right of this energy center, just notice if you feel that all of you fully believes it. And then there's a clue to notice where there might be a little bit more um, self-compassion and contemplation and reflection to get to the root of why you don't feel that you have that right. Because the hope would be in balance that we would feel worthy enough that we could claim all of these rights. And the right of the first energy center is, I have a right to be here. And what comes up for you around this energy center, around this right, around the practices, around survival and feeling safe? When I first started working with the chakras and the first energy center, and I heard that right, I have a right to be here. It struck me so deeply because I didn't really know if I had a right to be here. And moving through my life, I had an undercurrent of feeling like an outsider or feeling like I didn't belong. A definite disconnection with my body completely. And almost a sense of, is this real? It, is all of this real? Am I real? Because I couldn't feel that connection to the ground beneath me, maybe to those around me at times. 
And even in my family of origin, did I have a right to be part of that family? And so I really connect with this, with the work around um, Muladhara, with the work around, I have a right to be here and then embodying that. And, and that work has been the foundation for me for everything else as it would be if it's working with your root. It's interesting how you said you have a memory of wondering if you were even real. We use Anodea Judith's text, Eastern Body, Western Mind, as a reference when we're talking about and dealing with the chakras. And she has a really helpful page when it comes to every energy center that talks about the issues and and the balance characteristics, the traumas that can cause deficiencies and excesses in this energy. And she also includes healing practices for each of the energy centers. And at the end, she includes affirmations. And one of the affirmations for Muladhara root support is, I'm here and I'm real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I could... I could say those words, but to actually feel them deep took a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going back into the past. That's what the root is all about. It's going to the root of this and some of the traumas and histories that have to do with feeling deficient here are going back to bonding with mother and parents and you know, feeding difficulties when you were a baby and inheriting traumas from your parents or your ancestors. And if we do feel deficient here, if there is not enough energy in this center, we have a disconnection from our body. And that was notable for me. Um, When I was having regular panic attacks, my body was just an enemy and I didn't like to think about it. I, I thought if I just ignored my body, maybe it would stop with all of these crazy feelings. So I did a lot to numb my body and I didn't consider my body when it came to what I was consuming. Um, So that's a big sign of having too little energy here is uh, that kind of dissociation. You feel fearful and anxious. You feel really restless. It's hard to settle. You don't have uh, great discipline or, or focus. I can relate with that back then. And you have poor boundaries. I can also, oh, I can relate with that. That was one one of the major, like a huge sign for me that I needed to make a change is a relationship that came into my life right before I ran into the yoga room, (laughs) like right before I knew something had to change. And I just became aware of my poor boundaries in this, in this friendship, how anything to make her happy, you know, and I would leave those interactions with this huge headache. And I am not a person that gets headaches. It was just part of the waking up that something had to change, that this this life wasn't working for me. I needed to have a new way of thinking. So yeah, I'm so I'm so grateful that that happened because it was like something hit me over the head, literally, you know, I had that searing headache because I was I was just letting somebody walk all over me. I had such poor boundaries. And so I can say for myself that work here has helped me um, to build those boundaries. And then on the other side, there's 
a possibility to be too excessive in this energy center. And and because this energy center is also about you know how we take care of ourselves and our survival, it's about food. So if there's excess here, there might be overeating, feeling really sluggish and stuck, right? Too rigid. So almost like too much ground and boundaries mm-hmm. too rigid. And it's possible to experience both at the same time, like sometimes feeling, having characteristics of being deficient there and sometimes having characteristics that are excessive. Definitely. Definitely. I love that the healing practices really prioritize reconnecting with your body. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that was the pathway through healing Muladhara beginning a yoga practice, even just looking at your body. I know we look at our face in the mirror, we brush our hair, we might curl our hair, do our makeup, but to really like pay attention to all the other aspects of your body, like the soles of your feet or your back, or where did that mole pop up from, you know, that I've never noticed. So really connecting to all of your body, having touch can be extremely healing for Muladhara. And as a society, we are so touch deprived. And, and we have done that a lot of times for safety, you know, to, to keep our bodies safe. But in some instances, healthy touch then is also shunned. So healthy touch, hugging, holding hands, getting massages, Massaging yourself, doing Abhyanga, this oil massage that we promote in Ayurveda. Just loving your body can be so healing for Muladhara, the first chakra center. I agree. A yoga practice where you are fully focused on your body, that was the key for me. For the first time in my life, I paid attention to how my feet were placed on the floor and what the muscles in my legs were doing, the alignment of my legs, where were my hips, where were my shoulders. I highly recommend that. It's the way that I teach. If you have a yoga practice or any movement practice, the next time you go out for that walk, lift those weights or go for a run or get on your bike, do yourself a favor and challenge yourself to stay with how your body is feeling, not in a judgmental way, but as a curious observer and maybe even a compassionate observer, feeling your body move. And that helps us to stay so incredibly present as well. And if we're right here right now, then we're very grounded to what is real. We are here and we are real. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to... um, second energy center, moving our way up the spine. Do you want to begin giving us an overview of that one? So the second energy center lives near our sacrum. Its Sanskrit term is Svarishtana, and it translates as sweetness. You can feel that in our emotions, if there's a sweetness to our emotions. And the element that it's related to is water. And water is so tied to our emotions as well, not just with the tears that we cry, But when we let emotion flow freely, it relates to that water element. There can be a lot that we hold here 
in our second energy center a lot. And like you had mentioned before, if we're working with emotions in our physical practice, paying attention to the hips and how we move our hips and how we are stretching our hips. And, and I don't know if anyone has tight hips or can relate to that, but it can be directly related to tight emotions or holding emotions or repressing emotions. I have a, a something in my left psoas, and I've been working with it for a while, but I'm very mindful that there is something still there in my left psoas. And when I compress, say, my my knee to my chest, you know, when you hug your knee to your chest on the left side, I the first time I do that in a practice every day, I get a little nauseated, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I stay with it and I breathe and I breathe into it and I acknowledge it. I see you. I know something's there and I'm ready when it is ready. But it there's definitely something in the left psoas. And I wouldn't say I've had a psoas injury or that it is something that cripples me all day long. But when I really get into that spot it does create sensation in me that's a little nauseating. <laughs> so um, so there's something to be said about the connection to your hips and your second energy center to emotions. I love how you described what you're going through on a physical level, how you're being very curious and compassionate. You're not making it a huge problem and immediately attending to it as though the symptom is the problem, you're being curious as to something deeper and something there. Um, mm-hmm. This energy center is, as you say, related to movement and the water element being related to it. We think about, you know, how how is our movement? Do we feel free to express ourselves both physically and emotionally? This is also about mm-hmm. expression and this is also about our sexuality. So a lot lives here. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a lot of depth lot. to this energy center. <laughs> and there is. Yeah. It's also related to, to sweetness and pleasure. And so there's so many questions that are related to this. How do we feel about allowing ourselves to explore healthy pleasures? Um, do we allow ourselves to taste the sweetness in life? Um, are we self-conscious about expressing ourselves in different ways? Um, do we feel that we have a right to express our emotions? There's this this energy center has a lot when it comes to using it as a as a therapeutic tool. And what comes up when I think about it is in my younger days, how emotions ruled me. That was before the understanding that we're more than our thoughts and we're more than our emotions. So, if an emotion came up, sadness, I was sad. That is how I define myself. I was sad and looking for evidence to be even more sad and and not really taking responsibility for my own emotions. So I think there was a lot of excess there for a while before bringing balance to that area, before the understanding that emotions are mine to process and take care of, and also that we are never one thing. We are not that emotion. 
it's so tempting to say that, right? I am angry. I am frustrated. I am sad. I am depressed. But think about that. You're putting yourself in a box and you're making yourself that emotion Mm -hmm. when that is a passing state. Yeah, the embodiment of that emotion. Mm So I like that movement is such an important part of healing for this energy center because emotions need to move, move in. Hopefully we are noticing just as you were describing you're doing with what's going on with your hip area. We're noticing, we're curious, we're learning from, and we're allowing it to move on. I love that the the right of the second energy center is I have a right to feel. And I denied myself that right for so long because I was afraid of feelings. Feelings were not desirable. Feelings were scary. And as as we have found and talked about, if you don't feel all the feelings, you deny yourself the feeling of pleasure, of happiness, of joy, the same way you're denying feelings of anger or sadness or grief. So I have a right to feel, I have a right to have pleasure is so powerful to have that be the right of the second energy center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would invite our listeners to consider that right. How does that fall on you? I have a right to feel. I have a right to express myself emotionally. And if there's a part of you that believes, I don't know if I do, then there's something there. There's something there likely from family of origin. And maybe we already know, but awareness is the key. Definitely. A couple of the affirmations for this energy center before we move on. Um, I move easily and effortlessly. Life Life is pleasurable. I absorb information from my feelings. I deserve pleasure in my life. I like how she describes in the textbook, Eastern Body, Western Mind, that the demon of the second chakra is guilt. Mm. We need to talk about that. That's such a big part of this energy center. You know, we could really could be doing an entire show on each center. This, this was a good idea when we came up with it. And now I'm like, wow, this is, there's overwhelming information. There's so much to be said about each one. I definitely think this might be like three shows. Like a two-parter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Or> at least. <laughs> I think guilt is the one thing that we allow ourselves to feel freely. We seem to feel guilty all the time. or And maybe people don't. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I have a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And I think most people can relate to that. Mm-hmm about choices I've made in my life or how I have perceived myself, you know, guilt of things that I have done and then shame over the idea that I am bad. I'm just inherently bad or, and, and working through the second chakra is so healing to guilt and shame. So healing to guilt and shame that guilt doesn't have to be the predominant feeling that dominates your life anymore. Yeah, because work with this energy center is about processing that and forgiving ourselves. And we can use that language and make it seem so easy. No, it's a huge practice. There's a previous episode where we talked about how you can process guilt 
But basically, it's all about if you were to put yourself back in your shoes in those moments that you're holding yourself accountable for, that you're really getting down on yourself for, um, that it's hard to even be with yourself when you're remembering those instances. Typically, our motivations were pure. And usually what we were looking for in those situations, what we were motivated by, was by receiving love. And that helps us to be a lot more forgiving of ourselves. And if we can't, just imagine somebody that we love. They wouldn't want us to hold on to that guilt. It's insidious. It, it's it's helpful. There, there are lots of things that guilt is helpful for, that it, it keeps us to our own moral compass and it causes us to apologize when we have um, wronged somebody. It's also very helpful emotion, unlike shame that we'll be going into next because that's the demon of the third energy center. This is actually my favorite one to work with these days. <laughs> I love working with shame. <laughs> well, it's not like my favorite thing is working with shame, but just um, there's all this new understanding, thanks to Brene Brown, that we have about shame yeah. and how harmful yeah. it is to us as people and how it causes us to hide and step away from our life and and steals our potential and creativity and joy and all of this. Uh, that was a game changer for me learning about the shame complex and how some of us, that's part of our core. And we've grown up with this underlying sense of it. And so when you start to learn that this third energy center, so the next spinning vortex of energy that arises above the second one in the area of the solar plexus, and this is where it all, to me, makes so much sense. So the third energy center, the Sanskrit term is Manipura. That means lustrous gem. This is completely related to the fire in our belly, our personal power, our boundaries, our courage, our will. This is what helps us to manifest all the ideas that we have, right? Once we've been healing in first energy center and we've we've established that root bed and then we've learned to move and we've learned to process now we take what we've learned and we put it out there in the world and we create and we act and we take responsibility. So Manipura, our inner fire, it's related to all of this. But if we're deficient there, as I was for so long, such poor boundaries, as I've already indicated, then we can move very easily towards shame and maybe we or people in our lives, because you can even this, all of this that we're talking about, you can see this in the physical structure of somebody. And we might know people who are a little bit sunken there at the solar plexus. So the, when I say that area that's above the navel, that's uh, below the ribs, and we can feel sunken there, you know, like that chakra becomes shrouded by shame. It, it can feel like that punch in, in the gut but we feel powerless. And that's what this energy center is all about. If it was balanced, we'd be feeling reliable and responsible. We'd have good self-esteem um, and confidence. We'd have appropriate discipline. But if we're not, it's that low self-esteem, uh, poor digestion, because this energy center, it's the fire in the belly, right? It's like Pitta. We need appropriate fire to digest not just food, but to digest our emotions and to digest the situations in our lives. 
Absolutely. I love, I love Manipura, the fire in the belly, because you can physically feel that when, when you're excited about something or you even get butterflies in your belly. But when you are inspired to act on something or to create something, that's Manipura. That's, that's where things seem to grow from in your life, around you, that inspiration to create. Manipura is it. Mm-hmm. The right here. So the basic right of this energy center is I have a right to act and I have a right to be an individual. How does that fall on mm-hmm. you? I have a right to act is so empowering for me. It gives me permission that I, just like everyone else around me, have a right to act. That no one else has more of a right to act on anything than I do. That I am just as enabled or I'm just as able to act as everyone else. So it feels to me equalizing, like there's a sense of equality that I can accomplish anything that I set my mind to it just in the same way that anyone else can. I have a right to act feels like it levels the playing field for me. I also think of that as we have a right to take responsibility for us as well. Part of my growth was learning to take responsibility for myself, feeling that I deserved that and and getting out of sort of feeling like a, a victim and feeling afraid, um, which all has to do with shame. The helpful healing tools for me when it comes to a right to act is being very purposeful about taking responsibility for myself and growing up, taking responsibility for um, paying my own bills. And that is one of the the healing practices is if you're putting something off, if you're procrastinating, just go ahead and do it. It makes us stronger in this area, as does um, taking risks. And we don't mean unhealthy risks, but if you have a dream, mm-hmm. don't put it off. Go for it. Yeah. I love the affirmations for this one. I accomplish tasks easily and effortlessly. I can do whatever I will to do. And then I especially love the fire within me burns through all blocks and fears. <laughs> and that re- that really speaks to me that we're not victims of circumstance, that we can all act or improve or create our lives, our our dreams, like you said, we can we can pursue our dreams just like anyone else can. So the fire within me burns through all blocks and fears. I taught that the other day to those yoga teacher trainees in some core strengthening work. So we were in Navasana boat pose where you're feeling the sensation right there in the Manipura chakra in the solar plexus. You're actually stoking that fire. And I had them chanting, the fire within me burns through all blocks and fears because, of course, they're all quite nervous. They're going to have to practice teach under the watchful eye of their instructors. And I'm sure you remember that. I for sure remember that from my first yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. And I still have those shots of self-consciousness if a big teacher will come into my class where I feel like I need to strengthen here. 
Uh, I love to do that, actually. I love to do core work, not just because it's a good idea from a physical standpoint to be stronger in the core for our low back and our hips, but I like to do it purposefully thinking that I'm getting stronger in my personal power and I'm getting stronger in my will. That's another Mm -hmm. of the healing practices there. And I also have a Mm -hmm. star next to I accomplish tasks easily and effortlessly to help me get over procrastination tendencies for sure. Yeah, I, I feel very empowered when I can hold plank. Mm -hmm. And throughout my life, I didn't have great arm strength or, or a really great core strength, but I find holding plank and firing up the belly and tapping into, I honor the power within me as you're doing these core poses, like you said, Navasana, boat pose. Those can feel so powerful. Now they can suck too, you know, if you hold them for very long. But but like you said, to feel that power in your belly as you're working your core can be very empowering. Mm-hmm. And you're you're it's always a practice working towards the balance characteristics of these energy centers, but a balance characteristic here would be, you know, feeling confident and warmth and having a sense of one's personal power. All of this, all of this is a lifetime of practices. And Mm -hmm. we head out of the fire and then we move into the air at the very center of our body because air is the element that is related to the heart center. If you do have a yoga practice, you probably hear a lot about the heart center, the heart chakra. It is right there at the center of the body. And the Sanskrit name is anahata, which means unstruck in English. I love that so much because Sandra said that to you, our aromatherapist in a previous episode, she said, you know, we walk around telling ourselves that our hearts are broken when in fact that can't be. And this is almost a reminder of, of the purity of the heart how we can come back to wholeness, how we can remember its wholeness. And of course, related to anahata is our ability to love, our ability not only to offer love, but to receive it and not just to offer it to others, but to offer it back to ourselves. The qualities of the heart are compassion and empathy, peace, receptivity, there are mudras that we do in our yoga experiences when you when you see the hands together at heart center or my favorite right hand then left hand stacked right there at the center of the chest that are thought to evoke and cultivate the qualities of the heart and if you take a moment to do that it does seem to drop you into your center um air being related to that is also interesting to me because when we're taking full, long, deep breaths, that's when we're more capable of softening into the emotion of love. When we're in fear, the demon of the first chakra, we are naturally holding our breath, restricting our breath, 
or our breath is very quick and shallow. When we start to deepen our breath, even right now, if you took a long, slow, deep breath in, we are able, we are more easily able to tap in to the qualities of the heart. So I love that that is the element that is related here. I find it really interesting when you look at the physical manifestations of issues with the fourth chakra, with Anahata, that you have actual physical ailments related, not just to our, to our physical heart, but to our lungs, maybe to our breasts, to our, to our thymus, and also maybe tension in the back or the shoulders. I can, I can remember my physical body when I was really in the depths of grief and how my shoulders rounded forward and my upper back kind of rounded forward as well. And that physical manifestation of protecting the front body, protecting the heart center. If you think of people who are are in grief, how they kind of curl in upon themselves. Then I'm also reminded about yogis when they begin maybe to work on a backbend, backbending process or a backbending practice, how so many of them have said, I just sobbed uncontrollably and I don't know why. And it wasn't because of the physical sensations, but because they were physically opening that area of their body, physically opening the front body, that it was releasing grief from maybe long held grief, maybe grief that they weren't even aware was there. But as we physically open our chest, open the heart center, how that can then move grief out of the body. I find that just fascinating. And that makes me think of when I have any conflict with those that I love, and I specifically think about my 17-year-old daughter, what I notice most when we are in the midst of conflict is pain, like searing pain at the back of the symbolic heart, right between the shoulder blades that wasn't there previous, but comes on in the midst of that. And it's almost, you know, like the heart is hurting. Um, or it's so uncomfortable because maybe my heart is hardening slightly and I need to remember compassion. I need to soften. And I agree with you so much moving the body in ways that create space at the front of the body, especially in our day-to-day -day lives where everything is out in front of us. And so now we're just naturally rounding forward. We're naturally seeming to protect that area and close in around that area. And we can feel a little bit more cynical, right? We can feel a little bit more negative. Uh, body posture is really important. And then if we do a practice or even if we stretch now and interlace the hands behind our low back, there does seem to be, if we pay attention, a bit of spaciousness that we can experience there. I'm also reminded when I think about physical things that we can do to balance here, something that I will be teaching when you and I teach together on the 18th of September at your beautiful studio in Ohio, Radiant Yoga and Wellness, um, a practice where we are exploring, expanding across the chest, 
um, using props. And we are exploring using our arms because it's a therapeutic tool to use the arms. From a physical level, the arms and the hands are thought to be expressions of the heart, which I also love because that's what we're using to hug people, right? That's what we're using to reach for people. That's what we're using to place the hands on our own heart. So it's about drawing in. And I have an embodiment of that that I love to offer that centers around forgiveness, which is also. A quality of the heart. And um, yeah, so if you live in Ohio, if you live in the Columbus area and all of this sounds interesting to you, we'd love to have you. Yes, we won't make you cry much. We won't make you cry, not to say that tears may not come if they are needed. So the basic right of Anahata, Fourth Energy Center, is to love and be loved. And if anybody listening and you and I were to really say, I have a right to love. I have a right to be loved. Okay. Um, I think we all might have something sticky there. Especially with the right to be loved. We can, we can feel like we give our love freely. I think the right to be loved can be stickier for people. This brings me back to what I shared last episode about codependency, the the young codependent part of us, which is also related to an excess here in this energy center. It's that thought of, I'm only okay if other people are okay with me. And I talked about how a quality that I deem bad was triggered in me. So I kind of went down this little shame spiral. And really, At the very root of that, when we feel like somebody is displeased with us, we are all triggering a deep unconscious belief that we're unlovable. A lot of us share that we are just not worthy of love. And we could say all day, oh, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of love. But deeper, deeper healing needs to be moved through. And that's where using the resource of the heart center can be helpful moving through healing practices like taking pen to paper and discovering more about yourself and why you might have a sense of feeling like you're not worthy of love. Um, Seeing a psychotherapist, we for sure will always recommend our guest, Jodi Cron, releasing grief and doing inner child work, doing codependency work, and practicing again and again forgiveness and self-acceptance. And I think this might be a good time for me to repeat the definition of self-compassion that has worked for me. And I do share it in my classes. It's the long run-on sentence. (laughs) But I think that self-compassion is forgiving ourselves again and again for not measuring up to the impossible-to-reach idealized version of who we think we need to be in order to be loved. I love that run on sentence. Not easy, but can come up almost daily when we have those memories of guilt, when we're feeling ungrounded and so we've missed something or we've forgotten something, when we spent some time in shame, when we procrastinated and we didn't meet our responsibilities, right? I mean, this is 
this is this is all going to happen. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. I don't know if it can be possible to have all of your chakras in tune and aligned. <laughs> I don't think that, that will ever be possible. This is all a work in progress. Anything that comes up, the most important thing that we can do is be kind to ourselves and parent ourselves and forgive ourselves. I wholeheartedly mm-hmm. agree. So at the recording of this, and we're still about a week out from this, when this will be airing, we do still have some space in the Radiant Warrior Workshop where um, those of you in Ohio are invited at Amy's beautiful studio. Yes, we would love to see you there. And stay tuned for coming episodes because we're going to share how all of you can spend some time with us, maybe once a week learning how these practices can help us feel more alive and vital, less anxious, and um, really we'll be teaching more about all of this as well. Yeah, I'm excited to share that with our listeners. So clearly we're going to close here at the heart because we've hit our hour mark and we like to keep that as a bit of a limit for ourselves so that we can move on to our other responsibilities in our life. So listen in next week where we will continue moving up the length of the spine and talk about the healing practices and the rights related to fifth, sixth, and seventh. All right, my dear, have a beautiful day and I'll talk to you next week. All right. I can't wait. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.